to the podcast what a crazy few weeks i feel like he keeps saying that but you know as the year comes to a close there are a million things to tackle and finish up i'm sure most of you know how that goes at least i would hope so you try and stay busy right <laughs> shout out to everybody who's been supporting the podcast and helping us grow our community this week if you did not figure out by the title we're going to delve into my past experience and take a deeper dive into sales fundamentals it's a critical topic for freelancers and the skills are the same some of the same that most people are going to need to sell ideas and convince others to jump on board with those ideas now there will be some of you that are turned off by the idea that they should learn these additional skills, specifically the sales side of the equation. But at the end of the day, that is part of the gig. Dealers are expected to constantly be updating our skill sets, making sure that we are at the top of our game. And as someone coming from the opposite direction with a his with more history in sales and software, I can say that when I'm explaining things to someone, I usually end up dipping into the skill set just to ensure that my points are solid and the points are made in an appropriate and concise manner. So why is this important? Why is sales important to a software engineer? And I mean, this is this is kind of the crux of all of our episode today, right? And in part, it's because you need to understand the entire process from, you know, coming up with the idea, planning, wireframing, putting things together all the way to the end where you're actually presenting to a client. Understanding the tactics that sales teams use and how to align your documentation and your projects to suit them as well as your leads will end up being more successful for your team. And the company that you're working for. If, if you're if you're coming at something from a sales mindset where the entire project, the entire feature that you created is geared towards better suiting the end user, you're going to end up in a better space. Even if you're not in contact with you know the salespeople, understanding their job and making sure that you understand that they will end up needing to push your products and features that you're building. Understanding all angles of the day-to-day -day situation and understanding the process from planning to end user is so important, I can't even begin to tell you. Well, I'm going to anyway. Now, I'm not going to beat them up worse than they already have, but we're going to delve into Activision Blizzard for an example here. Okay, Activision Blizzard is in charge of both World of Warcraft as well as the general publishing of Call of Duty. There has been a sustained history of tossing in gimmicky features that people simply don't care about while missing features that people do care about. Both companies have struggled to get a grasp on what was wanted and the title leads missed the mark. You know, the, the actual lead producers end up missing the mark, unfortunately. Understanding you're an end user and what they want and need could have taken their games to a whole new level. And to be fair, like it, it's not a it's not a constant miss, right? 
you know, World of Warcraft is still one of the is the most popular MMO on the planet, basically. You know, Final Fantasy XIV is is fighting with that a little bit. Definitely New World is dipping into that when it launches. Um, but generally, it's still one of the most popular games on the planet. Call of Duty is, of course, the Mac daddy of arena first-person shooters. And Warzone, which is an offshoot of Call of Duty, the actual games, is arguably one of the most popular BRs since Fortnite. So... You know, keep keep that in mind, right? You know, there's there's billion dollar companies that still hit the hit the mark, and there's others that just they miss it by a mile. Now, what are sales? In the business dictionary, the definition of sales is as follows: the activity or business of selling products or services, an alternative t- term for sales revenue or sales volume. However, sales are so much more than this simple term, which if taken at face value might lead to pushy business-focused strategies rather than customer-focused ones. Sales are not about trying to convince potential customers or developing the most persuasive tactics to get people to part with their money. When this is your business strategy, people can sense it. And it's a bit of a turnoff. Sales are really about helping your prospects to source what they genuinely need. That means listening to them actively, understanding their pain points and specific needs. The aim is to provide a timely and cost-effective solution, which naturally equates to a win-win situation. Note that if you can't offer the best solution, integrity should come into play. This earns the respect of your prospects, and who knows, they might need come back when the time is right. Or pass your details to others. By sending a prospect other elsewhere, you still have assisted in their process. So technically, that is still sales. That's from act.com. It's linked in the show notes as always. But let me let me simplify this for you, okay? The simple way of saying this is that you're selling something. The act of selling is the way of getting products out the door and into somebody's hands. You know, a salesperson's job is to find the best solution for the consumer and then explain to that consumer why it's the best option to suit their wants and needs. Okay, that's that's the simple way. You're not always going to have it. You might have to send them elsewhere. That That is a legitimate fact. But the reality is, is that that's, that's it in a nutshell. Okay. You know, when, when I chose this topic to you know, be the 13th episode, there, there was a reason for it. And the, the reason is that there's a lot of misunderstanding about what sales is. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about how to do sales. And unfortunately, what happens, especially in software, is that we're extremely good on the coding side of things, but we might struggle with people and we might struggle to get our products out the door. So we're going to, we're going to focus on this today. We're going to we're going to go through the actual sales process and I'm going to talk about it and give you kind of the quick primer. And then I'm going to give you some articles at the end of the show to get you going. You know, there, it, if you're a developer, you know how to use Google. We all do. You know, there's a good chance that we have things like MDN or W3Schools or Python.org or any of these major sites bookmarked. But by the same token, we're still going to be using Google to quickly jump into Stack Overflow and other resources to try and make sure that we're ahead of the game. Okay, same deal. Take the time to look it up.
All right, understanding the sales process. The basic sales process is extremely simple. It's something that people learn in a matter of minutes, but can take decades to master. It is deceptively complicated at times, and there is a lot that has to do with your people skills and how you handle objections. Okay, so the, the reality is this, is you can learn and understand the sales process, but if you can't execute it and you can't read the people that you're trying to sell to, and you can't read or understand body language and, you know, kind of read between the lines about what's coming out of their mouths, you're not going to be a good salesperson. If you're, if you're a bad salesperson, you're not going to sell anything. Okay, end of story. You could have, you know, the next Facebook or the next Twitter or the next Amazon or the next eBay. And you're a horrible salesperson, so you can't get, you know, maybe an angel donor or, you know, investors to buy into your product. Well, we're going to talk about how to deal with that. We're going to talk about how to get better at this specific skill set. Okay, step one. And before I move on here, before I actually dive into step one, I mean, I want to make it clear there are different pieces of language depending on your background, different industries. Um, I'm going to be giving you language that's used in wireless more often than not. Um, but just understand as you're reading all of these articles, the steps are basically the same. They just have different names. For example, step one for most sales process processes would be what's called prospecting. You know, the first one that I'm going to hand you is the meet and greet. It's basically the same concept, except for prospecting, you're going to actually have to go find your customers. This assumes that you've got customers sitting in front of you and you're just having to sell them, right? It's more of a retail mindset instead of, you know, outside sales, which is something that I'm not you know, I, I didn't do a huge amount of outside sales in my background. I did mainly, you know, retail style. So make sure you read and understand the different dynamics and make sure you understand the differences because there are some slight differences, but most of the concept is going to be basically the same. Step one, meet and greet. Your first step is to meet and interact with the client. Okay. This is your first chance to build a rapport. Rapport building is mildly critical. And when I say mildly, I mean, quite literally, if you have a bad rapport with somebody, you might as well hang up a phone on them, walk away, or just delete the email because you're not going any further. Making sure that you're giving a good first impression is a huge jump to ensure that you're building the right image for the customer. For example, think of a new or franchise auto salesperson who usually would be wearing nice slacks, button-up shirts, dresses, you know, sleek shoes, you know, they're, they're sleek. They're dressed to the T, right? They're, they're one step down from having a tux on. Though there's, there's some sales manager, I guarantee you, that would love to see them in a tuxedo or a ball gown. Um, you know, real estate's basically the same thing, right? It's basically the same kind of uniform. Why? Why is, why is that the thing? Because when you're selling higher-end products, you're expected to exhibit a level of class to meet the level of the product, right? If I'm, if I'm going into a store and I'm expecting to spend 50 cents on an item, you could be in cutoff jeans and a t-shirt and I really wouldn't give a damn. But if I'm expected to spend, you know, $100,000 on a, you know, nice, nice car or truck, or I'm buying a house, 
dude, I, you better not be in cutoff jeans and a tank top. Like, what are you doing? I kid you not. Like I've, I've met real estate agents that have done this. You know, I, I go and look at a house and they make the decision to show up after mowing their lawn and they show up in cut off shirts, a tank top, and literally there's grass stains and grass remnants all over their shoes. And I understand part of real estate agents jobs occasionally is to go in and do some of the landscaping. Cool. Guess what? I don't care. When I talk to you, you're going to look like you're a professional and if you're not, I'm going to walk away. Okay. Obviously, you know, this is the time of COVID and some of the stuff in this section isn't going to be a thing right now. Okay. Things like, you know, smiling, like you could smile, but they're not going to see it. So it really doesn't matter as much, you know, shaking hands. I would advise against that because it sounds like that's a quick way to get COVID from somebody, um, you know, stuff like that. So you've got this person walking through the door, ding, ding, ding. You know, they walk into your 7-Eleven or what have you. You know, what's what's the first thing you do? Well, it's pretty simple. Hi, welcome to my store. If you're, you know, regardless if you're working at a retail location or showing a house, the first stuff is simply to say welcome. Thanks for coming in. You know, now, if you're working in a retail location and you're working with somebody prior to them walking in, you still need to say, welcome. Thank you for coming in. You know, and what you do is you need to follow up with a timeline that sets realistic expectations. You know, when you can actually take care of them. If it takes you longer than just a few minutes, make sure you follow up with them. Now, this can be done in a remote setting using, you know, phone calls and emails. You know, call centers do it all the time, right? Let me put you on a quick hold. I'll be right back with you. You know, for an email, say, hey, I'm finishing up what I'm working on right this second. You know, give me a half hour. I'll be right with you. You know, we'll we'll get on a Zoom call. And we'll hammer stuff out. Okay. Pretty simple to deal with. Um, but yeah, so second is make sure you're smiling, polite, and courteous with their time. Okay. If you're wasting somebody's time and giving unreal you know, unrealistic expectations about when you're going to get back to them. They might be sitting at their desk in front of their, with their phone, literally dead set in the middle of their desk, waiting on you to get a hold of them. Maybe this is the one thing that they have on their plate all day. And they're just waiting for you to call them back to hammer out details so that they can be done and go the hell home. Maybe they got tea time at four o'clock and you tell them, Hey, I'll get back with you at two. And you wait until it's three 30. Like, be be respectful of their time. Be courteous with their time. You know, if you want them to buy your product, then you need to make sure that your your customer feels like they're getting the best possible customer experience. Whoa, wait a minute. That's a keyword. Okay. So developers use a keyword, a phrase called user experience at pretty much every level. It's basically the same thing. The only difference is, is that for customer experience, when we're talking about it from a dev perspective, we're talking about their experience using a piece of software or an application or a portion of the website that we're working on, right? It's the same mindset. We want to make sure that their experience using our product is the best it could possibly be, okay? I wanted to make sure that you saw each, you know... <sighs> Here I am just zooming through this thing here. I'm going to note real quick, you know, 
this step tends to be in a retail or in-person sales process. For software, it's going to be different. You might never, ever even experience this. Take some of the hints and think about how they apply to your day-to-day with your stakeholders, your supervisors, you, you know, Think about how you interact with your coworkers, et cetera. You know, it, it value each other's time. Be respectful. Be courteous. Smile. Be kind. Be empathetic. Be part of a team. Show respect for everybody. Even if it's Dave at the end of the hall that decides to be a jerk and steal your sandwich at lunch. You might want to deal with that, but do it in a courteous and polite way. All right. What is step two? So step two is actually more important than step one, okay? If step one was important, we took it up a notch. Understanding the customer's wants, needs, and desires is even more important than just talking and building rapport. The customer can love you to the ends of the earth, but if you send them on a wild goose chase instead of putting them onto the right products and services that they need, you know, you're you're wasting their time. You're wasting their energy. Very quickly, that love is going to turn to hate because you're stringing them along, right? You know, I I can honestly say as a human being that if you string me along, I'm going to get annoyed at you. What waste of my time? Do you have what I need or not? Yes or no? End story. Okay. When you're trying to qualify somebody, you need to make sure you're getting all of the information that you can. But you need to make sure that you're getting the right information, right? And here's some examples, right? What product are you selling? What service are you selling? You know, if they're already using a similar product or service, why are they why are they even talking to you? Are they dissatisfied with the current product or service? Is the other product substantially more expensive than yours? You know, are there specific features that they need that they're not getting? Right? What would be the perfect product or service for the customer? Right? Is there a feature that they can live without because a different feature is more important? What do they need versus what do they want? Okay, very important here. Take your time. Please, for the love of God, take your time. Understand your customer, understand what they want, and understand what they need. Right. Those are two vastly different things. I'm sure you've all heard the analogy. Not even going to go into it. But there's a difference between wants and needs. Okay. Now, at this point, we've met our customer. We've had interactions with them. We're having conversations with them. We're actively understanding their wants, needs, and desires. We're taking the time to get all the right information. We're jotting that down, tossing it into a CRM, making sure that we're building, you know, a, a understanding of the customer and what we need to offer them to close our sale, right? Because again, we're, we're staying inside of a sales model here. So we have all this information. Now we're ready to keep going. Okay. So far you've met and built a software relationship with your customer. And then you took the time to understand their needs and potential wants and have qualified the customer. That's the key phrase. You need to qualify your customer and qualifying your customer is a very vague term, okay? It could be understanding whether or not they have good credit versus bad. It could be understanding what their budget is. It could be understanding what their pain points are. What what points do you need to meet and exceed? 
you know, understanding that they want the moon, but they need, you know, probably a quarter of that. Okay. If next you need to take a minute and think through your options, right? And this is something like, you know, and I'm, I'm going to stop through this. There's a bunch of this that's pre-written that I wrote earlier, but I'm going to stop occasionally and I want to talk about pieces of this, right? So you've, you've gone through all of this. Now you need a minute to think through your options, okay? If you're doing in-person sales, then you can do this while you're engaging with, with small talk, right? However, if you're launching a website and expecting customers to buy from it, then your website has to do this for you right that's you know take take doordash for example right so doordash you log on and god i've used the hell out of doordash in the last year I, I think we all have um you look at doordash you log in create your profile add your payment blah 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 and you start looking at the very top of the page at all of these different food options Right. They have everything from burgers to Mexican food to Thai food to Chinese food to Hawaiian food. Oh, God. So Hawaiian sounds good. I need to have that this week. Um, but, you know, they have all these food types at the top and then you start scrolling down and it's broken out by what the fastest options are. And then after it gives you the fastest options, it basically gives you, you know, a list of all of your options, right? So what, what did that website do for us, right? So first of all, it said, hey, what do you want? Do, do you know what kind of food you want? And then it went, okay, wait a minute. Are you in a hurry? Do you need us to be fast, right? And then it went, okay, maybe you don't, know exactly what you want and you're not in a hurry well here's this huge long list of different places that you can get food go ahead and scroll through it find what you want place your order we'll get it to you when we can get it to you that's the point though your website is literally doing the sales processes for you right your meet and greet is getting onto the application establishing your account right your qualification is being done by your website. And what's funny is, is the qualification that's being done by the website is actually, you know, also giving you the options at the same time based on your input. It's literally the sales process built into a website. Okay. And that's a good thing. Anyway, you know, dealing with in-person sales is stressful, right? It really is. Presenting the options is the first point after, you know, initially walking, having the, the courage to walk up to customers and say, hey, how's it going? Welcome in. What can we do for you? Right. So the, the second stressful part after just asking questions is I'm going to tell you what you need and what you want and how I can help you. Right. Because part of our jobs as salespeople is to kind of understand what's underneath. Right. We need to understand why they need certain features and why they want other features. Some of them are obvious. Right. If if you're dealing with the user interface, you want to have just a couple clicks in certain websites and other websites. You have to have a certain level of depth. Right. For a landing page, I should be one to two clicks to find anything. Right. For e-commerce. 
I get a, a few extra clicks just because I'm listing products and usually, you know, a few pages worth of products. But I still want to have them to my inventory within a couple clicks. Look at Amazon. You boot up the page. You log in. You have their entire inventory already starting as soon as the page renders. Okay. Same concept, right? The stress, it's a stressful experience while you're standing there and talking to somebody to think through your inventory while talking. It really is because you're basically, you know, give me just a second. Let me think about your options. You know, maybe you walk over to your computer, you pull up your inventory just to check your inventory. I did this a lot in wireless sales because, you know, sometimes I had the, you know, one of the iPhone pluses, right? iPhone, you know, eight plus versus the regular iPhone, right? If I was out of, if I was out of pluses, then I'm going to try and spin you into a regular one. If I can't do that, then I'm going to get a drop ship going and, you know, I'm going to finish a sale and you're just going to have to wait a day or two for the phone. If you're impatient and speed is an issue, then I'm going to have to redirect you to one of my other stores that already has the device. <coughs> Excuse me. Right. Anyway, once you get this down, you're, you're quickly becoming a rock star. This is one of those points that good salespeople get really, 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 really good at. And once you're really, 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 really good at it, you know, you're going to succeed. However, this is also the point where people learn bad habits or they've simply not asked the right questions to come up with viable options to ensure that the customer is satisfied. Okay. Now, there's two ways to go with this. Okay. First, before you give a single option, stop. Just stop. Take a breath. Know how you're going to present the options. You know, again, retail's really good at this. They're going to train you how to do this during your onboarding. It's part of the training process. If you're if you're trying to teach yourself, this is one of those that you grab a friend or family member, you sit with them and you tell them that, you know, they're your captive audience for the next 12 hours and just drill it into your head. Um, if you present the options in a bad or weak way, you're going to potentially blow a perfectly fine option for the customer simply because they don't know what the hell you're talking about, right? Now, second, give the option that best fits, right? The option that he hits the majority of their needs and wants the best option first. And then stop talking. Just wait. Minimizing the options to one option is a good way to, you know, start moving the process along a little bit, right? You know, for example, if we have 385 options and I narrow it down to one, I've just saved the customer, you know, an hour trying to go through all the inventory and trying to pick one, right? When you're the salesperson, you're the expert and the expert is going to give their expert opinion, right? So that's, that, that's where we're at here. That's, that's what the second option, second, you know, part of this is, is you're giving your expert opinion on the best option for them. You know, if for some reason they look at you and go, no, nah, I don't know, man, move on to the next option, right? 
sometimes you got to do that. It's not ideal, but you know, that might be a thing. If you have an awesome solution for them, more than often they're going to choose it and you won't have to give, you know, the next five options. You know, it also makes it easier to close a sale if you don't have 20 options to choose from. I'm sorry, but we've all been into a fast food restaurant. We've all stared at the menu going, God, what do I want? Do do I want the McChicken today or do I want a cheeseburger? Do I want tater tots? Do I want fries? Right. And the problem is, is that doing that in a sales environment, in a sales situation, you don't want to confuse people. You want to keep it simple. So give them one option, wait for them to tell you, you know, any sort of objections, try and work those objections and go from there. If you have to give them more options, you have to give them more options. Sorry about your luck. You know, let me, let me do a software example, right? So for years and years and years, WordPress and WooCommerce has been a quick option to get an e-commerce solution just up and going, right? There's a ton of hosts that it's literally one button click and you have WordPress spun up. And most of the time, WordPress spins up and it's got WooCommerce already installed. And if it's not activated, it takes about 10 seconds to activate it, right? So it's really fast to get online. It's really fast to set up. It's fairly user-friendly in a lot of ways. There's there's some downsides, let me tell you. But, you know, it's, it's, our, it's our cheap and rapid deployment option, right? One button click, we're up and going. We're customizing, dropping a theme in it, and we're done, right? Here's the problem. If you don't have your continuous integration and deployment set up right, you're going to run into issues where a plugin gets out of date or and it updates or WordPress gets out of date and it, you have to update it. And unfortunately, as anybody that has played around with code when we update things sometimes things break and unfortunately that is a very very real you know situation that you run into with wordpress and woocommerce is that as you update your plugins there could be negative interactions and you actually have to drop the site roll it back and start from scratch one by one by one going through each one of your plugins to figure out which one is breaking things and then rolling that plugin, you know, uninstalling that plugin and then reinstalling the last version of it just to get things working again. Trust me, done it a thousand times. It's not fun. Okay. However, right, if basically your need is to have a, you know, content management system and an e-commerce solution, you know, there's another option. Actually, there's a ton of them. Um, but another option is to spend a little bit more time developing but you get a custom front end and then you hook up to the Shopify API to streamline the e-commerce side of things, right? Wait, you can do that? Yeah, you can do that. And basically what you do is you, you know, build your own CMS and, you know, fun stuff like that or, or add libraries or what have you. And you just hook into the Shopify API and use it for your sales and payment side of things. It's going to be slower development but you're going to get a higher lighthouse core almost out of the box, which means it's going to be faster. It's going to be more secure. It's going to hit SEO better, you know, things like that. Generally, WordPress sites get lower scores. Okay. 
But that's the thing, right? So if our best option and our want and need is to have something up fast and to have the options basically plug and play, then I'm going to go with WooCommerce and, and WordPress almost every single time, knowing that this option is going to end up being more maintenance long-term and I'm potentially going to have more frustrations with it, but it's fast out of the box, right? Doing your custom front end for a Shopify shop you know, and I, I specifically say a custom front end because you can technically do the same things with Shopify that you can with, with WordPress and WooCommerce. I haven't really delved too deep into the CMS side of it or the CRM. Yeah, CMS. Um, but from my understanding, there is a bunch of stuff there, right? But for me, I'm a JavaScript developer. I like shoving a JavaScript framework in front of everything and just using Apollo server or, you know, a REST API to, to grab whatever the hell I need. <coughs> the other thing, again, is that SPAs or single page applications tend to be a little bit better scored on the Lighthouse audit that Google gives us. So there's that. But yeah, I mean, it, it's basically two options, fast, fast development and deployment versus slower development and deployment or... You know, if you want to look at the long term, more maintenance versus less maintenance, right? Because anybody who deals with APIs on a regular basis knows that those APIs rarely are going to change. Anyway, let's move on. So, you know, right at this point, we have we've done the meet and greet. We've qualified our customer. We've presented our options. This is where you take a breath. Take a breath. You've given them everything, and this is this is where I normally would tell my sales guys to do what's called a soft sale. Okay, this is this is something that's not in the show notes. I intentionally didn't add it to the show notes, to be quite honest with you. But here's the deal, right? You've given them all the options, so you're going to hit them with a soft sale. Hey, is this kind of what you're looking for? Or are we are we kind of ready to move on? You know, you're a little bit more vague, you're a little less deliberate, but you're still you're still asking for a sale, right? This is the first point to start, you know, pushing pushing the button a little bit, hitting the gas, right? Because normally that is going to lead to step four, which is overcoming objections. And let me tell you, this is where things really, really start to get stressful. And this is where new or inexperienced or skittish salespeople tend to completely unravel. Okay. You're, you're going to get pointed questions. You're going to get objections. They're going to range from things like, I need to call my spouse for that. You know what you told me is going to be too expensive for my budget. You know, how you handle these, how you overcome objections it is literally the difference between locking down a sale or losing the sale to a different company or a different salesperson. Right. Cause if, if you just kind of roll over, it's like, yeah, maybe that is too expensive. No, no. If that's the best option and your understanding of their situation is that they need that option. Price shouldn't be the pain point. 
Okay. And in business, most of the time, you know, a lot of people look for the cheapest option, but if they're presented with the perfect option with the right feature set, the right stuff that they need, they're going to choose that over hunting down the cheapest option, right? If it's, if you've got a super easy, easy to use piece of software that does everything that they need, why are they going to keep looking? Because of the price? Sure. Some might. Okay. Guess what? That happens. But the other side of that is that, you know, guess what? It's not, <laughs> it, it's not, it, it's, it's just not that, right? Like you're, you're going to get objections. You're going to get lost sales. You know, how, how you deal with that is going to be the good and the bad, right? So let, let me kind of, let me kind of talk about it, right? So more you hard nose folks, you know, are going to tell you, Hey, you, you need to do things. I just lost my complete train of thought. I apologize. <laughs> um, so yeah, you're going to, if you do, if you overcome objections the wrong way, or you just simply don't do it, you're going to lose the sale. Some of the more hard nosed people are going to tell you to do things like asking what it would take for you to buy today or push a bit more. These can be a hundred percent useful tools. The problem is, is that you're coming off pushy, right? You are now pressuring your customer, right? And if you do it too hard or you do it in the wrong way, you're going to destroy your credibility and come off looking like a slimy used car person. And let me tell you, I've been a used cars person, salesperson, number of years. I've been around used cars off and on for, God, I think it's close to six, eight years at this point. Guys, let me tell you, I was an honest salesperson selling a used product, but I cannot tell you the number of customers that implied that I was lying, trying to cheat them, trying to play games with them, or just was downright slimy. Okay. And mind you, this is coming from somebody who was a wireless sales manager. I managed multiple stores at the same time. I was really, really good at it. Okay. So understand, you know, I've, I've got a certain level of personal integrity that I bring to every job. And even if my sales manager is telling me to push, if I don't feel like that's the right decision, I'm not going to do it. My boss can get mad, but guess what? I'm not going to intentionally blow a sale knowing that that's not the right response. My sales manager hasn't spent a second with my customers. I've spent however long I've spent with them, right? Anyway, that's that's the hard nose. That's the old school way of doing it. You know, personally, you know, it it works. It does. But it's a lot more cutthroat and it's more likely that you're going to blow up the sale. How I like to do it is during the presentation phase or, you know, presenting the options phase, I like to over-educate people. I want to have as much detail in a very concise, compact way so that when I'm done talking, my customers' questions have already been answered. You know, and the reason the reason that I like to do that is because it minimizes questions. It takes slightly longer if you don't do it right, 
But if you're good at it and you figure out how to summarize the majority of your product into, you know, a little pre pre-made packet of information for people, right? Then very quickly it's going to be more effective because they're just not going to have as many questions. My favorite is when they want to call a spouse. Cool. Cool story, bro. I'm down. First of all, nine out of 10 are just trying to get out of the store. You know how to fight that? Here, you, you want to use my phone? I'd, I'd love to sit down with you, get her on, get her, he or she on the phone. And I'd love to have a conversation and answer any question that they have. I am, I'm completely down to make the time for you. I'm completely down to make sure that every single you know, question every single, you know, potential issue. I'm, I'm down. Let's sit down, put her on speaker. We'll get you going. Right. Throws people off. It's crazy. It's, it's absolutely hilarious how that, how some people deal with that. It's like, wait, what? You know, the, the funny thing is that these are the same things that I would do in more of a business setting. Okay. So with, with business and I did B2B when I was working for a sprint retailer for a while and with businesses, the most common that you got would you would end up in a business and you were dealing with a manager and they wanted to pawn things off to the, to the owner, or they simply didn't have the authority to make the decisions. Well, guess what? It's the same concept. Sure. Let's get your boss on the phone. I'd love to talk to him. I'd love to go over everything with your boss. Now, why do I do this? It's pretty simple. There's two main reasons. Number one, I want to control the flow of the conversation. I want to control it. And the reason for that is that if the pacing is wrong, if things are said out of order, if things are said in an incomplete way, you lost the sale, right? The other reason is, is kind of an expansion on that, which is, I don't like playing telephone from kindergarten as an adult. When I give you a piece of information, I'm going to give you the piece of information. If it needs to be passed along, I'm happy to be the person that passes it along. So I make sure that it's complete, concise, and it's said the right way. Because again, how you say things, what order you say things, etc., have an impact on a sale. Okay. I don't like losing. Okay. Now, mind you, I love dumb TV dramas. Okay. And my favorite way to describe the overcoming objections phase in the sales process is by bringing up an episode of a TV show from, I want to say the nineties or early two thousands. It's called the West wing. Okay. And I'm here. Here's the hint. This is a bit of a spoiler. Okay. This is, this has come from one of the later seasons. If you haven't watched it and you want to skip ahead about three minutes. Okay. Bit of a spoiler. Okay. So I want to say it was the last season. They are going through an election cycle and the Republican candidate is, is being played by Hawkeye from MASH guy named Alan Alda. You know, he's a Republican who pushed for a nuclear plant to be built in, in California that has basically a meltdown, Right. And the problem is, is that Alan Elda's character is basically being crucified by the press, right? He's getting nailed. This was basically the worst possible thing that could have happened to him. So his response was to fly to California, walk in front of the press, 
and give a press conference. And he answered every single question. They, they time-lapsed it, basically said that it took about, you know, four hours or so. But he stood there and he answered every single question that he possibly could until the reporters had absolutely no questions left. Right? And that's the thing. That is how you overcome objections. You stay and you stay engaged answering questions, overcoming objections, you know, making sure that your customer is given every piece of information that they need and then some and making sure that every possibility of them, you know, having an objection is taken care of because 90% of the time that you have an objection, they have questions that aren't answered. Now, I'm, I'm going to address the elephant in the room for a minute, okay? The other reason people have objections is because they're just done, okay? Either, either they don't have as good of a rapport as you thought that you did with them, like they, they just don't like you, you smell funny, you know, you look funny, you know, your, your ears are too big, whatever the reason, they don't like you, Okay? When you get objections where they're trying to leave, try and overcome them. If you can't pivot to another salesperson, pivot to somebody else. I really like people working in teams, even in places like cell phone stores. You know, I, I legitimately would have my guys, they worked in teams of two in the store. When they were on the same shift together, I would have one, you know, engage with the customer. If the second person wasn't, engaged with a customer, they would come over and they just hang out and help. You know, whether that's putting a screen protector on, whether it's activating the phone, what have you. But the dynamic of having multiple personalities interacting with somebody made it a little easier to sell people, right? Both, you know, different experience, life experiences, you know, different education levels, you know, different hobbies, different focuses, you know, maybe you got one person that loves golf, another one that loves volleyball, you know, being able to interact with the customer and get to their level in the right way is super important, even at this phase, right? Moving on. Otherwise, this is going to be like three hours long. You know, at this point, we've we've met them. We've asked questions to make sure that we're meeting all the, you were finding out exactly what they need and want. We've presented, you know, we did a very soft sell and then we presented the options. And at that point, we, you know, answered any question and objection that they had. Now it's time to get down to business. Okay. And it, it may be weird that I'm even stating this. It may not make sense to some people that haven't been in sales, but guess what? This is this is literally one of the most common ways that people lose sales. Not even not even playing. Ask for the sale. That's step 5. Ask for the sale. Okay? You know, a lot of people just don't clearly ask the customer to buy. You know, when I ran multiple wireless locations, this was an issue for my team. We trained on it constantly. And some of them picked it up really, really well. But part of the issue was that I had a few people that were a little more shy. And the reality is, is directly and concisely asking a customer to buy 
it's aggressive. It, it's not a laid back thing. You're looking at somebody dead in the face and you're saying, hey, are you ready to buy this? Are you ready? You know, give me your money. Let's let's go do the paperwork. Let's finish this. Let's get you out the door. You know, whatever you say, it is a substantially more aggressive thing to ask for the sale than to ask how you can help them and what their needs and wants and desires are, which comes from the qualification phase, right? It's a more aggressive thing than telling them, hey, I'm the expert. This is what I think is going to suit you best. Okay. You know, and that's and that's the thing. And sometimes it's because they're the salesperson isn't, you know, skilled enough, hasn't kind of found their groove, haven't really found their rhythm. You know, but other times they just don't ask the right way, right? So here's the deal. Clearly and concisely ask the customer to buy. Don't fall into a trap and use questions like, are you ready to wrap this up? Because I, I got to tell you, as somebody who's been on both sides of that sales counter, right? I bought a car from somebody else and then I've sold cars, right? Been on both sides of that aisle. <laughs> Am I ready to wrap this up? I was ready 20 minutes ago and you wouldn't stop talking. Of course, I'm ready to wrap this up. You know what? I'm going to wrap this up all the way to my current car and drive to the next car lot because, you know, you, you don't get it. Okay. I've, I've seen that. Hell, when I, when I first got into sales, I had that happen. Okay. Ask point blank. Okay. Here, here's, here's a good one that I've used and I used it with almost everybody. And that's the thing is you fall into that rhythm where you have the same questions, the same dynamics for almost every single customer. And then you just vary just slightly as you deal with different types of folks, right? If you've got an intense personality, you deal with them one way. If you've got a more laid back personality, you deal with them a different way, right? Here's, here's my usual go-to. Okay. So I've gone over all your options. We've talked about your concerns. We know that realistically, this is your best option. That's going to suit your wants, needs, and desires. Let's finish the paperwork and get you on your way. You know, are, are, right. You, you might notice a difference, right? It, it's still, it's still a little soft. It's not perfect, but I'm summarizing what we've already gone through. I'm giving them another opportunity to kind of backdoor in more questions, give any more objections. And then I'm using what's referred to as an assumptive sale. It's a soft assumptive sale, Right. And that's, that's the, let's finish the paperwork, right? The pay, the paperwork is the vague spot, right? I, I could have said, let's finish the sale. It's a little much for me. Let's finish the paperwork implies that we're finishing the sale. And, you know, saying let's finish the paperwork. It's, it's also implying, Hey, you're going to buy this. I've, I've done my job. Now it's yours. You're going to give me your money. You're going to sign on the dotted line. We're going to get on our way. Okay. It's called an assumptive sale. That's a soft one, but it's still there. Okay. So what is, I'm going to, I'm going to deviate for a minute before we go to step six, but what is an assumptive sale? Okay. You're assuming that they're going to buy. Okay. That's, that's the simplest way to explain it. You're using a closed question or in, 
you know, legal profession, it's known as a leading question. You're assuming that they want to buy the product or service, and you're basically leading them to the answer by closing the question and pushing them in the right direction, the direction you want to go. You want references for that? Watch a bunch of legal shows like Matlock. Okay. It's done all the time. You hear objections, you know, screamed, oh my God, objection. It's a leading question. Okay. You're going to get it all the time. Okay. Specifically, I've linked an article for this. Okay. Understand of some sub sales. It's a great thing to know. Um, it's a great thing. Even if you don't use sales skills on a regular basis, it's a great thing to at least being able to identify that if you go and buy something. Because <laughs> guess what? Salespeople use it all the time. It is an amazing tool for us. It's how we make our money. Okay. So let's move on to step six. Finish the sale. Literally. Finish it out. Fill out the paperwork. Get things running through your POS. Finish out the sale. It's pretty simple. Pretty self-explanatory. Go through whatever in processes that your company has set in place. Now, are we ready to be done with the sales process yet? Because I am, right? This is long. Dear God. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at my time and it's like, oh my God, I'm already 52 minutes into this. Okay. Let's finish it. Because finishing the sale isn't the end of our journey through the sales process. And the last one is just as important as every other one, if not almost more so. Okay. Step seven, follow up and ask for referrals. Okay. That's right. Pick up the phone, fire it off an email, you know, check in on your customer, make sure that they're having success with whatever you sold them. Okay. If they're having issues, go through the motions, get them with, get them with, you know, tech support, do tech support with them. Make sure that they're being taken care of. Okay. Get them up to speed. If they're, if they end up having success after you do that, you know, or they're just having success straight off of the sale. Great. Make sure they're using all the features that they need, you know, go through it with them if they need it. Then finally ask them to, you know, give you a review and refer a friend. This is another huge, huge miss that you see you're by tons of salespeople, right? So it's basically amounts to a cold call, right? You've already finished the sale. Now you're going to pick up the phone two weeks later and say, hey, how's it going? Everything good? How can I help? Right? It's awkward. It, it's just, it, yeah, it's not fun, right? I get it. But this is another missed. Because this is a 100% chance to get people taken care of. If they're having issues, this is your chance to make sure that in the in the sales world, you don't end up with something called a chargeback where they return the product or service because they just don't get it. Right? This is another, it's also another bite at the apple. Because let's say that they're in the living room with their wife sitting next to them and their wife's, you know, entire book club is sitting there while they're on the phone with you. And you're having a conversation with them, walking through the steps, making sure that everything's taken care of, making sure that they're good. And you're asking for referrals and you're asking them to write a review. Guess what? Somebody might be listening to the phone call or they might be reading the email over their shoulder and they're seeing that you're going out of your way to make sure that they're good and asking for referrals and asking for reviews. Now, let's be real. If you call a customer or you email a customer and you get a nasty response, do you honestly want a review from that person? Obviously not. 
but at least this gives you a chance to start to try and rectify that. Okay. You know, even if you struggled or you had some sort of an issue, it gives you the opportunity to help them and make it right. And that level of care for your customers will give you a better shot at positive reviews and referrals, which is what you want because referrals are going to be a part of your sales funnel. Okay. Now, keep talking about elephants in the room. Let's talk about the obvious one. Okay. Developers are not salespeople, right? Like, let's be real. Developers aren't salespeople. I'm going to argue that that statement's wrong. I think that this is something that you need to learn. You're going to be constantly having to explain your thoughts, your ideas, your features. You're going to run into objections and questions and how you handle those is going to result in the same kind of thing, right? You know, do you get to implement the feature that you think is awesome that you think people are going to love or is your boss going to shut you down and make you do, you know, do testing for the next six months because you came up with a dumb idea, right? I keep hammering, you know, it should, it should feel familiar, right? This sounds really familiar. It's because it is right. The, the stuff that you learn in a sales process can be applied to literally almost every single conversation that you have. And guess what? Learning to be a good listener, it's a good skill to have. Uh, I keep hammering on about soft skills on this podcast, and I'm sure that for some of you, I'm simply going overboard. But I want it to be clear. They are so freaking critical, guys and gals. And everybody, right? It's just critical. Okay? They're so useful. You need to make sure that you're able to get your point across. And you need to make sure that you do it in a professional and concise way. Sales skills are quite literally the mastery of customer service and interpersonal skills. The best salespeople can take a room of people who are ready to literally put their heads on a spike and turn them into your biggest fans. Okay? Now, I'm not saying I'm that good. I'm pretty good, but I mean, that's that's like... Those salespeople are the ones that are making like a billion dollars a year. Let's be real. You know, but... I'm pretty good and I've done really, really well for myself selling products ranging from wireless solutions like cell phones and cell phone plans to cars and trucks to apparel, you know, and some of those cars and trucks, I'm not going to lie. They're pushing six figures. They're not cheap. I sold a, I sold a truck that, you know, I want to say their monthly bill for the loan on their truck was close to $1,200 a month. Okay. Been there, done that, played that game. Okay. There's one constant throughout all of this. People. People. That's that's the constant. You need to make sure that you're able to do the people side of the job in the right way. If you can't communicate, if you can't interact with people on an hourly or daily or weekly basis in the right way, I'm sorry to tell you, you can be one of the best programmers on the face of the planet. Eventually, there's going to come a situation where you handle things wrong and you end up with a pink slip and shoved out the back door. Communication and how you deal with people 
is that critical? Okay. All right, folks, <laughs> let's, let's finish this week's episode up. I want to make sure that I say Google is our friend. Okay. If you're struggling with the people aspect of your, of your job or just in general, if you struggle dealing with people, make sure that you use get Google the same way that you look up, you know, language syntax, right? Same deal. Look for examples of different scenarios and just kind of work through them. You're your best ally. But sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. By learning both the technical side of things while also learning the soft skills, we get better understanding of how to advocate for ourselves and our ideas. I've been working on putting a ton of technical topics together for the podcast so that we could kind of, you know, pivot back to the more technical side of things. But, you know, I, I started I started doing off all those soft skills. And I, I got to be honest, like it, it was so clear to me from having conversations with a ton of different people in the industry and learning that, you know, we're a bunch of introverts. Dear God, some people literally just cannot talk to other people, even if it's a DM on Slack, right? So I kind of, I kind of focused on that, but I, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm working on getting a few topics set up. We're, we're going to pivot back to the technical side. You know, it, it's coming. Deep breath. I know, I know some people are frustrated about it. It's coming. I do want to do a quick note here since this is well outside the realm. You know, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I gave additional reading for you to check out. Okay. Make sure you look at the bottom of the show notes. Check them out. There's a table of contents on the top. Gives you a bunch of links to kind of float throughout this uh, this Notion page. But I've got a bunch of good sources like HubSpot, Business.com, and others, you know, that give you solid information about the sales process, gives you just kind of communication tips and stuff like that. You know, make sure that you take the time to read it. That's part of the reason that I type out the show notes. I mean, it's helpful for me to be able to read, you know, part of a script. But, you know, I've, I've been in sales so long that I can kind of improv parts of it. But make sure you look at the show notes. You know, I've got, you know, the ultimate guide to creating a sales process, seven step sales process, when to use it, when to break it, you know, how to get better sales, sales process, a structured approach to closing sales faster, 26 habits of incredibly successful salespeople. Those are the ones that are at the bottom. There's two as well. There's another one from the Balances MB talking about closing the sale, the assume the sale, as well as the definition, which came from an article from act.com. What is sales going through these and just reading and just kind of, you know, taking, taking an evening, you know, four or five hours, go through this stuff, you know, and then try and, and slowly start to put it into practice in your daily lives, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, You'll, you'll, you'll start to see a difference. And if you don't, you're doing it wrong. And if it turns out negative, you're really doing it wrong. Because honestly, the concept behind the sales process is really just listening and giving people what they want. So more often than not, it's, it's going to help in a number of different ways. All right. That's, just, that's it, folks. That, I'm done. I'm done talking. We're already over an hour. Make sure you hammer those like, follow, and subscribe buttons. And I'm going to see you next week. You guys have a good, 
good week. Asta.